0: Welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks to everybody who's been tuning in and listening. Our numbers are going up, so we like to see that when we look at the statistics of people who are listening. So if you like the show, be sure to tell a friend. And I know you're going to like today's show because today we have someone who knows all all about strategy and that is Robert Bradford. Robert is the CEO of the Center for Simplified Strategic Planning and he has been coaching and consulting companies, really smart companies on how to implement better strategy for now 27 years. But he didn't always work for himself. He started out, he was a news reporter, he worked in IT, he worked for a bank and then one day after he got his MBA from Dartmouth, he said, that's it. I don't I don't want to do this anymore and He became uh, his own guy and started working for himself. And now, 27 years later, he has a very successful business, and he has seen a lot of ups and downs in, in the economy. He's seen a lot of good companies do a lot of stupid things, and a lot of new companies do a lot of smart things. So, Robert, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do.
1: All right. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be here.
0: So why don't you tell us a little bit more about your journey and about the Center for Simplified Strategic Planning?
1: Well, you know, I've always had an interest in strategy uh, You know, from a very young age. In fact, when I was 12 years old, my, my father sat me down and did a strategic plan for me, which I thought was totally normal, as you do when you're 12. Um, but uh, it's something I've always had an interest in. I, I studied military history as an undergraduate, and uh, I was very interested in business when I got out. So, uh, I, I kind of always had this bent this direction. And what I found when I was casting about uh, when I was working on Wall Street for something to do that didn't require that I live in New York, uh, my family had a a business, a manufacturing business. We had about 100 employees, and uh, my father did strategic planning with them, but we were always kind of frustrated by what was out there uh, in the world of strategic planning. Everybody's talking about what Walmart does or what General Motors does or what Apple does, and that's all wonderful for them. But the kind of things that ultimately are the, the, the kernel of good strategy for a small or mid-sized company require a lot simpler thinking, and they require that you step back away from some of the nonsense that you uh, read about in uh, business magazines. So uh, when I got into this, and my father had started actually doing seminars for Michigan State University on strategy. And, uh, and I bought into that business and we turned that into what is now the Center for Simplified Strategic Planning and grew it and added people to it. And uh, it's, uh, it's been an awful lot of fun.
0: You know, that's fascinating because it is true even in my little world just as a speaker. Lots of times the consultants and the people who want to help you, they want to like show you what Tony Robbins is doing. And, you know, that's like a whole different world. It's like not even the same business that I'm in. And I'm always kind of fighting for the fact that, you know, that's great that you want to take these outliers or these people who would be like the General Motors of the business world, you know, and try to give their strategy to me. But I'm in my kitchen right now recording this podcast. It's not really the same thing I think Tony Robbins is doing wherever he might be, you know, in a castle on a beach somewhere right now. So I think you actually have, you know, sort of a great thing that you're doing. And, you know, what have been some of the changes that you've seen in your business over the last 27 years?
1: Well, gosh, when, when we started doing this, I mean, I can remember one of the really frustrating, frustrating things for my father was he went to one of these, uh, a seminar on strategy. And he came back and said, you know, they spent, they spent a third of the seminar talking about what you need to do with your computer department. And, you know, this was back in the 70s. We didn't even have a computer in our company. Then. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, that stuff obviously has changed. Um, the way people learn things has changed a lot. Uh, The pace with which people do things I used to tell people it's okay to in some industries to rethink your strategy maybe every two or three or four years. If you're in a slow moving industry, I don't think there's any such thing as a slow moving industry today. So uh, that's the biggest change I see. I also see a lot of changes in demographics and a lot of changes in just because technology enables this, um, the fact that there are little competitors out there targeting almost every tiny little slice of most markets. And if there is an opening there, someone's going to come in and take it.
0: So, you know, you, you talk about the fact that uh, you started your strategic planning when you were 12. Do you think the influence that your father had on you by making you look to the future and, and do these things had a, had a, sp- a profound impact?
1: yes for, for better or for worse and sometimes it is for worse I'm have a, I'm very future oriented I'm always thinking about um, if I set down a certain path I'm going to end up there in two or three years and sometimes it drives people nuts because I'll say to somebody you know I'm going to do this I can remember in uh, 2008 I said to a close friend of mine I'm going to do a lot more international work and for two years nobody saw anything happening and of course now you know I'm doing a lot of work overseas And uh, but it it took a while because the way I do things, I want to build a foundation and get traction so that it is natural and, and easy for that type of work to come to me. Uh, and, yeah, that it's a good thing and a bad thing. The bad thing is, you know, a year later, some of my friends might say, well, Robert, you were just pulling our leg. You're not really doing that. But the good thing is I tend to take the long view on things.
0: Well, and so you know, it's not really a bad thing if, you know, yeah, a year later you don't have the international business, but you know, two years later you certainly do. And, and I met you around 2009 or 2010, and when I think of Robert Bradford, I think of someone who does consulting and training and speaking in Abu Dhabi and Dubai and all over the world. So clearly being a futurist and a future-thinking entrepreneur leads you to finding that success.
1: Yeah, I, I think the real challenge, if you're very future-oriented, is you don't want to get there too soon. I've seen people who've done that. I, one of my first clients was a printing company, and this is way back when this was a crazy thing. They said, we're going to do everything digitally. We're going to print everything digitally for our customers. We're going to computerize everything. And he spent a fortune on it and nearly went bankrupt because he he got there, but he got there probably 10 years before the rest of the industry was even ready for it. And you don't want to do that either.
0: So what do you absolutely love? I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. What do you love about working for yourself?
1: The thing I love most about working for myself is that I I don't have – a boss to blame who's like that jerk. That he's just a moron. You know what? That moron, that jerk is me. So if there, if I have a problem with my work, it's because of me. It's because of the choice I made that I'm responsible for. And I, I like that level of responsibility. Uh, again, it's a double-edged sword. It means that when bad things happen, I, I'm really hard on myself. Uh, but I, I love that feeling that I'm, I'm calling the shots for myself. And also, it means I get to, I get to walk away from business that I think isn't isn't exactly right for me. Uh, if I don't like the client, if I think that what they're doing uh, you know, doesn't fit in my world, it's, it's for some reason I don't think it's a good thing, I can, I, can, I can walk away from that. Or if I'm feeling very generous, I can just do it but charge a lot of money for it and that's just fine too.
0: So let's talk about walking away from business. So this is something when you're, you know, an entrepreneur, it's for some people it's really hard to do, you know, they they want every little piece they can get. What's the advantage for entrepreneurs to being able to say that's just not a right fit?
1: Well, the first thing that I've noticed, and this is from doing strategy work and analyzing this question in a lot of different types of companies in different industries, if you do everything that you can do, I guarantee you're going to end up losing money on a big chunk of it because it's not exactly the right work for you. Um, so I, I take that, you know, that perspective into my thinking. The second thing is, as as a speaker or a consultant. What I am selling partly is is my brain. It's it's the fact that there's a Robert Bradford experience you can have. And if I waste that in a place where I'm not learning anything, where it's not having the effect I want, uh, or, or, or where I just don't like the outcome, even if I do a great job, I don't like what it's going to do, um, that's actually detracting from from the asset that I'm trying to grow and build and sell to other people. So I want to make choices that will always make the next client think I'm more valuable than the last client I worked with.
0: So when I think about your brand and what I've seen you do, and I've seen you speak several times at different conferences, when, when I think about what you do, you're, you're all about having sort of getting people to pay attention to what the meat of their offering is. And I think I love your expression that you don't, you know, want someone to be fluffy bunny. And I've seen you called people out, you know, when they talk about what it is they do for clients and, you know, you'll call them out sort of on the spot and that sort of lingers in the back of my mind as I do my business and I I have my offerings for my client is I want to make sure that I'm providing value and I learned this from you because the one thing I don't want to be is a fluffy bunny. So let's talk a little bit about that because that's something I know you're very passionate about is that there's a lot of people out there who are offering to. Much fluff.
1: Well, I tell you, it it actually comes from a a very central thought I have, and I, I apply this in business all the time, that there's there's a mythology that grows around every industry that somehow there there is one right way to do things. And first of all, that's just wrong. Secondly, that mythology often revolves around this idea that certain things are just true and, and immutable. Uh, and the fluffy bunny stuff, I think a lot of that has grown out of the uh, things that, you know, people, a lot of motivational speakers have said, you know, you, if you just want something badly enough, you can get it. Well, the, the real answer is more difficult than that. It's more interesting than that. And it's something that we should all be aware of. And the fluffy bunnies, they, they want to paint this world that's full of uh, rainbows and unicorn farts. And, and let's face it. <laughs> In the real world, some of those ideas help and they may give you a better feeling about what you're doing, but they may also get in the way of you actually getting real things done. And I just, I, it turns my stomach to see how much of that is out there, especially in the speaker market.
0: So we've talked a little bit about what you like about working for yourself and having created this company and, and this path for yourself. Is there anything you don't like? Are there any times you think, whoa, I could have stayed in IT at the bank?
1: There, there are two things I don't like. And, you know, I said the responsibility is something I, I like. I also don't like the fact that at the end of the day, I have to do these things. And most of my employees are former CEOs. And it's the one thing they almost all say they love about working for me is that they don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. They can just go out and do really good strategic thinking and get paid for it. And they don't have to worry about employees and they don't have to worry about the market. There's a lot of stuff they don't have to worry about. And I understand that completely. It is a worry, and I can never leave that at home. I can't, you know, even if I go on a vacation for a week, it's still bothering me. The second thing that bugs me is that sometimes it's quite variable. No matter how good your strategy is, you know, there, you know, the economy goes up and down. There are technologies that go up and down. I mean, right now, I'm wrestling with a couple of technological issues that, turn, that have turned into real marketing issues for me. And I know my clients wrestle with this all the time. And if you're an entrepreneur, you can never rest on your laurels and just say, oh, phew, I'm past that. I'm away from that. And no matter how long you do it, you know, like I've been doing nearly 30 years and I know that 10 years from now, I'll still feel that way that I cannot rest on my laurels. And sometimes you want to.
0: (laughs) So you mentioned that a lot of your employees are former CEOs who are, you know, out there doing the consulting and the strategic thinking. How do you go about finding really good employees, especially when you're looking for, you know, the C-level people to come work for you?
1: Well, you know, it's it's interesting. There, I have some new thoughts about that today. But when I when I was putting my team together, there were a couple of my main sources of uh, employees were either clients that I'd worked with so if somebody was a CEO of a company that was acquired by one of my clients or something like that or in some cases um, uh, Barry Wolfson who was one of my best employees for a long long time uh, he was actually a client of mine we grew his company from I think it was 15 million in sales to uh, 150 million in sales in the course of five years he was a brilliant guy and it was just it was a family business and the family just decided they wanted to put you know junior in the CEO spot one year and and the minute I heard that, I offered Barry a job. Uh, so I love that. And then there were some brilliant people like Peter Duncan, who I wrote simplified strategic planning with. You know, he was a classmate of mine at, uh, at the MS Tuck School at Dartmouth, uh, just a really, really smart guy. So uh, it's you know, it's people you naturally come in contact with most of all.
0: So Robert, what advice do you have for someone who wants to you know? go do their own thing, start their own business. Maybe they want to be a consultant or maybe they want to start some sort of a company that grows to 15 million to 150 million. What advice do you have for that person who has that entrepreneurial pang but hasn't taken the leap yet?
1: I I think there are two things that are really worth knowing for people who who want to do this. The first is, just looking at the research, statistically speaking, your likelihood of being a successful entrepreneur is about 10 times as great if you are working in the field that you do your entrepreneurship in when you when you leave your day job so the one piece of advice i always give people is try to have your work and your career right now oriented towards learning about what where you want to be an entrepreneur the second thing is learn as much as you can about your strengths and weaknesses and how you can rely upon other people, either people you work with or people, you know, people you outsource things to, to uh, help you do the things that are not strengths for you because though you're never gonna get good at some things and this is something, you know, it's part of the entrepreneurial myth that I'd love to dispel. There's no such thing as a brilliant, wonderful entrepreneur who's good at everything. Steve Jobs wasn't good at everything. Bill Gates wasn't good at everything. These people all have weaknesses But one thing that they had, one gift somewhere earlier in their career is they generally found a way to partner up with someone who could bring the missing pieces to the table for them. And I think that's vitally important for an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah, and I've had, you know, one of the themes I'm hearing from especially some of the larger company entrepreneurs who I've had on the show is exactly that. It's even if you're a solopreneur, if you don't like doing the accounting and it's not your background, just spend the money and get yourself a bookkeeper. And the same thing when it comes to marketing and PR and sort of all the different functions of running a business is a lot of people who, you know, especially in the early days when they're solo, you know, running it for all themselves. They think, well, I'll just you know muddle through it. And there's sort of a, a, a theme that I keep hearing from people like yourself who come on the show that says, you know, outsource it because otherwise you're just going to be miserable and you're going to screw it up.
1: Yeah, and it, it, uh, you know what? There's always this feeling that you can't afford it. But the answer is really you can't afford to have the train wreck that will occur when you're trying to keep all the balls in the air by yourself. You just can't do it. Because nobody's an expert at everything.
0: So you're an expert in strategy, and you said that your undergrad at Princeton was in military history. So how do you draw from that early study into what you do today? To me, it seems like just a natural –
1: well, you know, in my academic work, I've always had an eye towards understanding, like, how am I learning things that can be applied as tools later on? And so, uh, almost any uh, strategy situation I come into, I can describe a battle or a war somewhere in history where something similar was happening before. In fact, in my seminar, I, I often talk about the Battle of Thermopylae as a really good example of focus and how it works. Um, so, it's there. And it's important to understand that if if you can recognize the sort of conceptual reasons why military strategy ideas can be shifted into the business world, you actually then have the fundamental understanding of how to take pure strategic ideas and apply them in a lot of situations.
0: So, Robert, I have a lot of people who listen to the show who are like me and a lot of our mutual friends who are, you know, speakers and consultants and trainers who pretty much just run their own their own shop. So, what? how do you take what you do with larger companies, $1,500 million companies, how do you take that down and give a little piece of advice for that solopreneur?
1: Well, there are a couple of things I'd say. First of all, if, if at all possible, you don't want to just sit and do this entirely by yourself. Uh, it's, it's really useful to bounce ideas off of someone you really respect and trust uh, that can help you with this because they're going to point out, for example, strengths and weaknesses that you may undervalue because you think, uh, for example, your strengths aren't that special and other people will notice what really is special. Um, I would also say make sure you do take the time for it and make it doable. The the process I I teach in my program and what's in my uh, uh, Simplified Strategic Planning book basically lays out a program that you can do with about four days of effort over a period of four months to come up with a very detailed strategic plan. That's a little more than most solopreneurs should do, but the basic structure of looking at where are you Where do you want to go and how are you going to get there? And then keeping it very, very simple is is still valid. So I would just boil that down and make it doable.
0: So, Robert, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing with your company right now? Oh, I'm doing some
1: really cool stuff this year. A lot of it's with just changing my digital footprint. Uh, I'm starting a podcast myself. Uh, I'm doing a, a video version of my seminar so that people can uh, have the uh, convenience of sitting at their desk and watching this seminar, which actually is about 15 hours of stuff and maybe a little too long for online training. Um, and I'm developing a lot of new virtual products and testing them out, especially with the overseas markets because, uh, as you might imagine, the idea of uh, paying for a plane ticket uh, you know, to fly me to Singapore uh, two or three times gets a little uh, rough
0: for some small companies. So tell us a little bit about your podcast. What's your podcast going to be about?
1: Uh, The podcast is about strategy, and it's about just thinking about uh, how you do strategy, uh, what works and what doesn't in strategy, pitfalls that we see people having, and how how to deal with some of the really serious issues that most people who are doing strategic planning encounter at some point in their lives. Uh, probably the biggest one that I see most often is just poor execution. People do great plans and then they just don't execute well. So we spent a lot of time talking about that.
0: So what is the format of your podcast?
1: Uh, it's, it's just a five-minute me talking about a, a concept that's either about good strategic thinking or about translating good strategic thinking into execution.
0: And when are people going to be able to subscribe on iTunes and get that Uh, into their phone? They
1: will be able to subscribe on iTunes this month. Uh, Hopefully by the end of this month. I've already got uh, two of them recorded and uh, it will all be available. We'll have a link to it on our website, cssp.com. I'll probably put a link to it on robertbradford.com as well if people want to surf there.
0: And what's the podcast going to be called? Uh, I think it's going to be called Course and Direction. Say that again. Course and direction. Course and direction, and that'll be on iTunes. Yes. All right. So if you're listening, and you know a lot of people will listen to this when it comes out, which will probably be before your podcast is ready. But uh, the nice thing about podcasts is they have a long tail. Someone could be listening to this in 2017, and uh, you could have the number one ranked show, and they'll be like, "Oh, of course, that's old news." <laughs> Exactly, exactly. So we could talk about Robert Bradford and you know the Center for Simplified Strategic Planning all day long because you're doing some cool stuff. But I think some of the best entrepreneurs are observers, and so I always like to ask my guests, "Who else do you see out there doing something cool?"
1: Well, I'll tell you. Right now, I'm actually I've, I've done a little bit of work with uh, Sean Lee Cochran down in uh, Florida. I don't know if you've met her yet. Yeah, uh, she
0: is. She is
1: fantastic. She's a she's a dynamo, and she's uh, it, it's funny because she almost wrote this off, and when I met her, I said, "No, you, this is this is your special thing that you have to do." She's got this technology that she calls proclivities, which really helps to understand people, and it's useful for hiring. It's useful for employee retention. It's useful for productivity. It's useful for like marriage counseling for couples. It's just an incredible technology, and uh, she's developed a workbook on this now, and she's doing uh, she's doing some work on this. I think she's going to have a, a seminar this summer on it, and I'm, I'm just really excited with that material. I think it's, uh, it's going to be a game changer for a lot of people uh, when they see it because it's, uh, it's spooky how well it helps you understand some things that happen.
0: And how do people find her? I forget how she spells her first name. It's Sean Lee, but how is that?
1: S e a n l a i. I think if you just go to seanlee.com, com, you'll find her. Or you can you know Google Sean Lee Cochran, and she comes up. Uh, and I think her uh, Twitter is at Sean Lee, um, and you know she's all over the place. Or you can also uh, search for employee retention. I think she'll come up on that because that's where she's getting a lot of play right now because her her work is really good for helping people. Uh, Keep people essentially, and, and uh, you know that's a huge, huge issue for a lot of companies.
0: Yeah, and she's done some really interesting things with her company and then now with her speaking and everything else. And I met her this summer uh, at the National Speakers Association. She just walked up. There was a group of us sitting at a table, and she was by herself and didn't know anybody. And she just walked up and said, hi, can I join your table? And I always think when you're at a conference, you know, people people tend to be clicky and different things. And when someone just comes up and just says, hello, world, I'm here, I'm always quite impressed. And and she uh, certainly impressed me.
1: She's, she's amazing, and, and you know what? She's good at selling, and she's a great speaker, so I'm sure you'll be seeing more of her.
0: So the other question I love to ask everybody is, how do you give back to the greater good? Because in addition to wanting to have successful businesses, I think the best entrepreneurs also want to find a way to leave their mark. So what is it that you do?
1: I have, I have a small way I do this, and I have a big way I do this. The small way I do this is is giving where I know I can really affect people. So I do I do a lot of uh, a lot of, you know, coaching type work or strategy work if, you know, if there's an organization that I think can really use it to help an organization be more effective and get forward or to help the individual people who are struggling with how to get from where they are now to where they want to be in the future. Uh, and I, I do quite a bit of that. And I, of course, in NSA, I, I go and I speak at chapters and I do a lot of uh, a lot of volunteer work with a cigar peg and so on. The big thing I do, though, and, and that's, that's all good stuff and I feel good about that. But the big thing I do is my big picture strategy is I'm always trying to nudge the key points in the system where I think things are happening that are not happening the way they should. Uh, And I'll give you a case in point. I worked with a company uh, in the Middle East a while back. Uh, The the CEO emailed me and said, you know, we're having this real problem. There's a law here that requires we hire locals, but the locals are very expensive. And uh, the reason they're expensive, of course, is the government starts paying you $50,000 a year just for being a citizen when you turn 18. And so, you know, you go into this guy's office and his receptionist is driving a Rolls Royce. (laughs) Uh, But... He said, "We still need to have managers, and we just can't hire enough people." And I said, "You're totally missing. You're totally missing a huge, very well-educated, very smart pool of people who can be managers who are natives." And he said, "No, we've looked everywhere. They all want to work for banks or other companies." I said, "You don't have any women as managers in your company." Now, when I said that, I thought they were going to kill me, but um, you know what? Now they have a. They have about three hundred women as managers in that company so it's made a huge change and that's a good example of finding a place where something is wrong and there is like an inflection point where when you nudge that point people say oh wait a minute this will solve our problem and yeah there's a cultural reason why companies in the Middle East don't put women in management positions but if you push them up against the wall like they were and say look this is your solution they'll try it and it works so uh, I, I love finding things like that where I can do something
0: Excellent. That's kind of a cool story. So what is your ideal client? If someone's listening and they're like, oh, I want to work with this guy, what is what is the perfect client for your company?
1: The perfect client for me is somebody who has an existing business that has something that can go somewhere and where it could go has a potential that's much greater than where you are right now. And the real issue you're wrestling with is overwhelm and having a lot of opportunities and trying to sort out where should your effort be focused what are the things that you should be doing and what are the things that you should either shrug off or put on the back burner and get to those next year or the year after that because we want to become ten times the size in a few years um, that's, you know, that's the part I love I love working with companies where we can grow from having a hundred employees to a thousand employees in the course of you know five or six years Um, And, you know, if you feel like your business is in that situation, but strategic planning is a key professional requirement for the next step up because you're past sort of the entrepreneurial stage,
0: that's where I really shine. So, Robert, if someone wants to get a hold of you, where do they find information about you and how do they find information about your company?
1: Well, if you want to find out about me and my speaking, you can go to www.robertbradford.com. And if you want to find out about my company, the Center for Simplified Strategic Planning, that's uh, cssp.com, Center for Simplified Strategic Planning. And there is a wealth. Of really excellent, There are hundreds of articles on strategy and how to do it better on that site and free you know, webinars and all kinds of stuff for people who are interested in that.
0: Yeah, and I actually poked around a little bit, and there's actually stuff, even if you're smaller than uh, your target, you know, you're your one employee or you're no employees, there's still some stuff on there that got me thinking about you know, kind of what I'm doing with my own business. So I think it's good for anybody to go poke around your site.
1: Well, thank you. That's, uh, I think you're right.
0: Hey, Robert, thank you so much for being a guest on the show.
1: All right. Thank you, Tom, and Take care.
0: And everybody who's listening, once again, thank you very much for tuning in and sticking with us all the way to the end. I think we try to bring you some interesting guests who might not be the regular people you're hearing on every other podcast. I always try to find people who are making a difference, and yet they aren't sort of always the big gurus who everybody's having on their show. And and I hope that uh, you find that interesting. If you like the show, go over to iTunes and leave a review, and uh, come back in a couple days. We'll have someone new who we'll be chatting with. In the meantime...